0: How are we doing, church? Uh, If you're not touching the person next to you, you probably should scoot over. (laughs) Get real personal up in here. Some introverts are dying right now. I apologize. I'm going to tell you, just we're going to move as fast as I can, okay? All right. Stay with me. Stay with me. Hey, my name is Kyle. I'm one of the pastors, and I, I just—I re- really mean this, like, uh, with great sincerity and, and serious, heartfelt. Whether you know you uh, come all the time, you come sometimes, or you, you're a guest, it, wherever you're, often you come. I want you to know you chose to worship with us this morning. We do not take that for granted, and I am honored that you are here. So, thank you. Uh, can we just celebrate? This is the most wonderful si- time of the year, isn't it? Right. <clears throat> Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Like Christmas is uh, full of stories. Some are good stories. Some are bad stories. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Hallmark Channel. That's where all the bad stories are. <laughs> this is a true story. My daughter the other day, we watched a trailer and I said, wow, that's a Hallmark movie. And she goes, what does that mean? I said, well, there's a, there's a formula for movies that are just all the same story with different actors in different locations. And she's like, really? You can make money on that? I'm like, yeah. She's like, all right. And I feel like there's an entrepreneurial spirit rising up in her as we speak, okay? Uh, I love Christmas movies. Any Christmas movie fans in the house? Good, good. Yeah, Netflix is producing them like crazies, a whole bunch of different ones. Christmas is filled with stories. Christmas is filled with songs. Anyone tired of Christmas songs? Okay, just me and a few other people. Thank you for your honesty, okay? I, I think if we're honest, come on, go with me. It, it's weird. It's like that Thanksgiving week. That next day, they start playing these songs. And I know that th- there's only so many songs and I, I, there's only so many renditions before it all runs together. And you don't know who sang it, but you're tired of hearing it. Can I get it old school? Amen. Amen. Okay, good, that's where I'm at. And I'm not trying to be a Grinch, I, I love, there's a song, a particular song that I love. Every time I hear it, I don't care who sings it, I don't care if it's a rock version, an opera version, or somewhere in between. Country version, I probably wouldn't like, but whatever. Um, every time I hear this song, it causes me to pause and lean into it. it I, for whatever reason, it's the song that just captures the season for Kyle. And, and we, in fact, we sang it tonight, today. I keep saying tonight because it's used to being at evening. We sang it this morning. It's, it's Oh Holy Night. Any fans of Oh Holy Night? Right? It's, it's a beautiful song. And here's what's crazy about the song. Every year I find a new line in the song that I'm like, wait, what? What does that mean? What is the depth of that? And I, and I just go on this journey where I plumb the depth of that song, it is so rich. And if, if I may, I, w- I wanna read you this year, the struggle, not the struggle, the, the song that, or the lyric that I am just struggling to process in this season. Uh, it, the song goes, "Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining, it is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appears and the soul felt its worth. Ah, that lyric, that line just trips me up. I will to read again. Till he appears and the soul felt its worth. I don't know what that means. Now, now here, here's what I, I, my best guess is, is in the Advent season, we go on a journey where we, we journey through the longing and the waiting and the expecting of a savior to come. In fact, if you're newer to the church world, uh, no, we did not get these from our grandma's basement. And no, did we not have a mismatched candle? Because that's what I thought too, okay? I, I came in one day, my OCD was off. I'm like, really? We couldn't get four of the same candles? And then someone explained to me that no, no, that's intentional. That that pink candle is intentional. Because while the Advent season celebrates a journey which we've been on and we are on. It testifies to some things. It testifies to, the, to these things that Christ came, that he fulfilled, and that pink candle means joy. It's to remind us that while for 400 years, people longed, begged, prayed, and dreamed of a savior coming, we remember that in the midst of whatever we're longing, praying, and dreaming about, we can still have joy because Christ is here. Amen. But I still can't reconcile what does it mean or what does it look like for a soul to not know its worth. Now, we've been in this series all month, you know, on our journey of Advent. Uh, it's a series called Sugar and Spice. And, and as a friend's church, uh, we, we desire for our, our lives of people who call this their home church to testify, if you will, to some values that we find important. In fact, we summed it up in an acronym, SPICE. That's hence sugar and spice. The, the SPICE stands for simplicity. We want to be people who simply communicate the simplicity of Christ. Now, here's what's funny is, uh, while yes, at its face value, the Christmas story or, or the birth of our Savior is a simple story, it's far from anything simple, isn't it? And so that's why we struggle in a world filled with chaos and drama to be simple people. P stands for peace. We want to be agents of reconciliation. We want the atmosphere to change every time we walk in a room because we bring peace with us. Because guess what? The world is filled with enough division. We want to be people that unify people because while we don't always have to agree, we do understand that each of us have worth and value. We wanna be people, I, of intentionality and integrity. We want our yes to be yes and our no to be no. We want people to, to see the world as every step we make an opportunity to bring life to the fringes. And so we don't wanna waste our words. We wanna be intentional with what we do. C stands for community. We understand that both twofold, we're for the community and we are a community, which means that we can't really enjoy life by ourselves, that joy is actually found in the midst of community. And that's why we fight for community for our people. And then finally, and what we're gonna talk about this morning, is this E word, it's equality. And I will tell you that is the greatest buzzword of our day and age right now, equality. What does equality mean? Well, here's my problem and why I'm talking about equality is I believe a holy night speaks to a cultural reality where people don't know their worth. And therefore they jeopardize their values to discover that worth. And I think that's where the gospel of equality speaks to us. What does equality mean? I'm glad you asked, I put on the screen. This is the definition that we're gonna work from. Equality is a noun, it means the state of being equal, especially in status, rights, and opportunities. Status, rights, and opportunities. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in Matthew chapter one. We're going to read the Christmas story. Uh, Here's what I I know. I can't add anything to the story. I can't make you see something in the story that's not there because it's the same story. It's the same story that we read every year. And so all that I could ask you to do is just lay down your assumptions, lay down your presuppositions, lay down, I don't know, the grudge you have with your grandma for dragging you here, (laughs) for making you dress up. My wife made me wear this. I'm happy though. And let's just approach the text with as much purity as we can and just see what the Lord has for us today. So here's what it says in Matthew chapter one. I'm going to pick up in verse 18. This is how the Messiah was born. You can follow along on the screens. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph. And she will have a son and you will name him Jesus for he will save people from their sins. And all of this is going to occur to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. Now, if you really approach this text with fresh eyes, you would think that you just witnessed an episode of Jerry Springer. Now we laugh, but I'm dead serious. That's an emotional roller coaster right there. And yet there's this statement in there that says, no, 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 you have this plan. It's going to fulfill something. Uh, this Emmanuel. And so that word carries much weight. What does Emmanuel mean? It's the Hebrew name meaning God with us or God is with us. Now, the word in scriptures all have meaning. In fact, uh, the names of God, there's like 80 five plus of them, and they all have this depth and and complexity to them. And, And what's crazy is this word Emmanuel is used so intentionally here, but why? Now, when you take that word and you pull it out and you say, okay, well, where else in scripture is used? We find that it's to be used three times in the totality of scripture. It's used twice in the book of Isaiah and once in the entirety of the New Testament in the book of Matthew that we just read. Why is it that it's so limited that God with us being used three times, but yet has such impact for us today? So, back in the day, this prophet. Because see, that's, that's what happened, right? If, if I could recount the story, you have this girl who, who's just minding her, her business, living her life. She probably had dreams to be some, uh, someone's wife and, and a beautiful homemaker and, and, and just live a simple, quiet life. And then all of a sudden she had to go to her husband and say, I, I, I'm, I'm pregnant. And he's gonna say, what, what with who? And he's like, you're not gonna believe me. <laughs> and I would love to be a fly on the wall. And Joseph hears this word and goes, this lady's crazy. But I love that the scriptures tell us that he was a righteous man. So he was going to divorce her quietly. That means that he was going to kick her to the curb as nice as possible because he's not going to be a man that's going to be walked on. And he made his plans and he's probably crushed. He's probably crying. He's probably thinking about while he was off preparing their home that they were eventually going to move into his girl cheated on him and this, this guy's crushed and I could feel the weight of emotions in him and all of a sudden, and then an angel shows up and says, yo, what she said is true. And this guy's like, what? She says, no, 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 not only is what she said true, but I'm gonna tell you she, there was a Holy Spirit and, and, he, and he put the child in here and guess what? I'm gonna do all the hard work for you. I'm gonna name it, it's Jesus. Because I don't want you to fight about that because you know they would have fought, amen? He <laughs> says, so you're gonna name of Jesus, and, and he's going to do all these things, but, but guess what? He's going to fulfill a prophecy from this guy named Isaiah. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She'll give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. 700 years before this moment, there was this king named King Ahaz, He was under oppression. Uh, The the neighboring kingdoms were at war with him and he was under attack and he cries out to God and this prophet comes to speak for God and the prophet looks at him and says, no, not only is God gonna deliver you, but a virgin is going to conceive a child. His name will be Emmanuel. And not only will, will God be with you, but God is going to protect you. And this king clings to that hope and he uses it And what it meant to him was something that set deep in his heart to to long for something, to hope for something. And I don't know if he came to see it pass in his lifetime, but I know that shortly after his lifetime, they were defeated. And what it meant then, meant then. But now all of a sudden, this prophecy is being fulfilled through the words of an angel. It means something so much more. See, 700 years later, a virgin from Nazareth named Mary was engaged to Joseph And Jesus fulfilled Isaiah's prophecy because he was literally God with us. He was fully human, yet still fully God. And again, I understand that theological concept. Why would a creator submit himself to the limitations of his creation? Why would a a king of kings, the son of God, step out of the most holy place in the world into humanity and bear its weight? And and here's what scripture tells us, it's really important, because Jesus is Emmanuel. He's not some partial version of God, some partial revelation. Look what it says in Colossians 2.9, it says, for in Christ lives the fullness of God in a human body. Now I'm gonna ask you something. I'm gonna confess something, and I'm gonna ask something of you. Here's my confession. If I was God this is not how I would have done it. I'd have snapped my fingers and said, let's try again. Let's remove some emotion. Let's remove some free will. Let's remove some pride. And let's start again. And here's why my question to you is, if you were God, what would you have done? Now, here's what I'm willing to bet is you probably would have done something closer to me than what Jesus did but thank the good Lord that I'm not God, amen? (laughs) Now, here's my question. Thank the good Lord, you're not God. Now, I don't mean that to, to, but but here's what's funny to me. One of the craziest things in life is we all just laughed and said, amen, not about me being God, but about you being God, (laughs) right? And I'm with you, I'm saying amen too. I don't wanna be God and nor should you. But it's interesting that in every season of our life when something feels out of control or beyond our control, we try to become God and solve it. It's wild, isn't it? It's wild. So here's my question. As we look through this lens, this story, my question for you today is, how did you get to Bethlehem this year? How did you get here this year? Now, I know there's a smart person in the room who's going to say, by car, and I'm talking and asking you to go a little bit deeper. How did you get here? Were you you dragged? Were you invited? Were you obligated to be here? Were you traditioned to be here? Were you just here because it's what you do? And and maybe we take that a a layer deeper. When you say here, what is here? Because I, I think many of us, we've been on a journey for years that's led us to this point. Now, we might not feel that, we may not realize it, but it's true because there was a series of choices probably starting five years ago that led to this moment right now. And why is that important? It's because what I would say is we all arrive in Bethlehem and so let me, let, me, let me say it this way, right? We, we've looked at all the characters of the story. Are, are you one of these people that you arrived at this place where you serve God, you surrender to God, you follow God because you know you had a moment with God that you cannot deny. You know that his glory was revealed to you. You saw it, you felt it, you know it, your life can testify it and you know you can't do anything else but follow God. You'd be just like the shepherds, wouldn't you? Maybe there's a few of you right now where where, uh, you have longed for something. You've heard about something. Maybe you've heard your grandparents testify to something in their life. And everything in your brain tells you, maybe this is true. And you're willing to risk your reputation. You're willing to risk your safety. You're willing to risk your reward, the stuff you earned, to go on a journey. And maybe you're in the midst of that journey to find the king. And you're like one of the wise men. Maybe as much as you think you found them, maybe some of you are still searching. Maybe, I saw this, not just this morning, but I, I'm witnessing it right now in, in, as my assistant is battling cancer. Maybe you're a, a spouse or a brother or sister of a loved one, or, or maybe you're just someone who deeply cares about someone and you're watching them go through the hardest thing in their life and when you look at the positioning of their life, you sit here and go, Something's, there's something more going on. I don't know how that person is sustaining this situation. There must be a God that would kind of make you like Joseph. Maybe, maybe you are carrying some burden. Maybe you don't know how to carry it. Maybe the weight of it is crushing you. Maybe all you know how to do is cry out for help. Maybe all you can do is just keep praying. Maybe you don't know what to do, but you are just like Mary and you're saying, let it be God, because I don't know what else to do. Again, I don't know how you got here. What I would submit to you at some point in our life, we've all been this person. See, there's one forgotten player in this whole story. All of us at one point have been like Herod. We've been so afraid of the thought of a king that could take us off our own throne that we've done everything we can to fight and to resist and to war against us having to surrender our lives to someone else. And I think we've all been there, whether we want to admit it or maybe we're at there right now. But there will be a day when all of us will arrive at Bethlehem, whether we like it or not. If you know where you're at in the story, great. If you can't figure out where you're at in the story, don't worry, your time will come because scripture tells us that in the end, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and every person will find itself in Bethlehem. The question I have to ask you is how do you want to arrive there? But you will arrive there. The grace of the word made flesh that comes to us this morning reminds us of our worth that we sing about. I want to read this to you. It it says this, the good news of great joy comes to us who don't feel much worth on our own. Sometimes we feel like an Advent banner on a hill ripped from its frame by a gust of wind and we need to be picked up, dusted off, patched up time and time again. The good news of great joy is for us who feel like celebrating. It's also for us that don't. It's for us who are grieving and those of us that are not. It's for us in the midst of our community and it's for us in the midst of our loneliness. It's for us in the midst of our confidence and it's absolutely in the, for us in the midst of our fear. It's for us who don't feel like we have anything to give because we can barely muster enough for ourselves. The good news of great joy is Mary who sings despite great fear and uncertainty. It's for Joseph who faithfully accompanies her, his partner even though he's just as scared. It's for the shepherds who are literally and figuratively on the very margins of society. They are nobodies, yet they were good enough for the king of kings' glory to be revealed to them. Maybe it's like the wise men who had it all and were willing to risk it all to find the king of kings. The good news is for us, whoever we are, whatever we're going through, And however we came into this sacred space, this good news is grace. It is God's yes to you and for you. It is our song to sing. It is our news to share until every soul feels its worth. See, the beauty of the Christmas story is it sets into motion what cannot be stopped. 2,000 years ago, uh, the king of kings stepped out of heaven and entered the picture. And for 30 years, it surrendered himself to humanity. He endured pain. He endured parents. He endured siblings. Can I get an old school amen on enduring siblings? (laughs) He endured what it meant to get up and have to go to work. He endured what it meant to have to go to school. He endured having to not want to do something but having to do it. And then in age 30, he set into motion a a self-fulfilling prophecy, a prophecy that was foretold throughout the entire Old Testament where there would be one who would come, who would change everything. And for three years, he walked and created so much chaos. That the only thing we knew how to do to handle it, it was to kill him to plot against it it overthrew our assumptions it overthrew our desires it flipped it on its head and the only thing we could do is sit here and go i don't want to be a part of this so we stopped it but in our effort to stop something we simply turned it on to a greater effect because wouldn't you know it when jesus was on the cross with his arms spread wide. See, this is the equality part that we don't get sometimes. The equality of Jesus, the equality of the kingdom of God, is that when Jesus was on the cross, the words that he spoke was, Father, forgive them. They have no clue what they're doing. And what was going on in his head is he was saying yes to you in the midst of your sin and your shame. See, we forget he didn't die for some of us. He died for all of us. The song doesn't say, oh, holy night, till some people feel its worth. No, it says until all feel their worth. That's what makes today holy. Is on the eve of the biggest celebration of our lives. We get to acknowledge that we have a savior who did not only what we couldn't, but he did what he didn't deserve. He stepped out of heaven and he said yes, so that our souls could feel their worth. The equality of God's kingdom is that Christ came for us all. Parents, aunts, uncles, grandparents, uh, future parents. Some point in your life, you're gonna interact with one of the most fun, scary, daunting, out of control things in your life. It's, it's, It's a child's birthday party. Y'all laugh, and every laugh at another moment in time was a cry, because you know it. This past summer, we threw a, a party for my, my son. He, he turned five. I'm not sure why. I just think we decided to stop being cheap, and five was the year we were going to celebrate. And, and it was this weird moment, because I kept asking my son, what do you want? And then when he told me, it was weird, because it's like a switch flipped in my head, and it was no longer about what he wanted. It's about everyone else. See, we had to send out these invitations, we have to make gift bags, we had to to make food that everyone could eat because there's people who don't live on the bread of life. My wife, she's lactose intolerant and celiac disease and so she's got to have her own menu and it it gets crazy. And then she's got friends that are in that same journey with her so they have to come and then we have to make two kinds of cupcakes. It's exhausting, but it's true, right? We we get in this moment where it's about everyone else. We got to worry about nap schedules and everyone else's comfort. And we almost forget why we threw the party to begin with. And then there's two universals to every birthday party. Two universals. I don't care how good of a planner you are or how reckless you are in your planning. Two things are going to happen. One, it's going to be out of control. And behind every out of control situation, there's a parent, typically the mother, who's trying to hold it together, and a father who's causing all the chaos. And in that, there's this moment number one happens. It's the funnest moment for some people. I find it fun because I, I love chaos. It's the moment where the child opens the gifts. And I'm talking five and under, six and under. This is, this is where it gets crazy. Because as soon as that kid rips open the wrapping paper, it's like all of the other kids have to get closer. And then they get closer. And then they have to touch it too. Then they have to rip a little bit of paper too. And then you got the mom in the back saying, someone get these kids out of the way, I need a picture. I gotta write thank you cards, I need a good picture. And all these parents are like, is she really trying to stop this? There's no stopping this. These kids are just ripping and clawing. And then the kid like holds it up and we all think it's this triumphant, look what I got, but it's like, it's mine, don't touch, because all these kids are grabbing for it. And then you have to open everything and play with it. And then there's moment number two. Again, universal. I don't care how good of a planner or how bad of a planner you are. There's this moment where we turn off the lights, and we bring out this sugar-loaded dessert, and we, I I promise a man invented this. We put a flame on it. (laughs) We put it in front of this kid. And it's crazy, but for whatever reason, everything that was anarchy before comes into focus. And all of a sudden, what was out of control comes into control, because for whatever reason, the child just stares at the flame. And he waits patiently like, what is this thing? It's mesmerizing. And every other kid sits real quiet and still because they just want in on that crack sugar drug thing. And all these parents, they zoom in, and then they try to capture this moment so they have their phones out. And then in unity, we start to sing happy birthday. And everyone's eyes are focused. And my favorite person in the story is the little child staring, taking in all of the moment as the flame dances. And for whatever peace in that moment we find, we have unity. You know, at Advent, on Christmas Eve, we light the last candle. The way Advent fell this year, we, we actually light two candles. But I tell you that story because I think, in some ways, the most beautiful candle that we light is the Christ candle. And I might invite a perspective change to us, but in some ways, it's like a birthday candle. It's the moment where we get to see and taste, and we know we're about to experience the greatest thing in our life. And while we're waiting for it, we have this moment in time where everything pauses and we focus in on it and we just see the dancing of the flame and we remember why we are at the party to begin with. And then if I may go back on the first one, the only difference with Christ's birth, and it's a big difference, is that when every kid is opening the gift, There's a lot of contempt in people's hearts because we're sitting there going, I wanted that gift. Oh, I want to play with that. But the greatest thing about Jesus' birth is that it wasn't just a gift to a few. It wasn't just a gift to one. It wasn't just a gift for some. It was a gift for everyone. And I pray that we never forget that. That's why I have a cupcake because I think sometimes the candles we hold shouldn't be candles, it should be cupcakes. And I'm sorry you didn't come prepared, but you should have. <laughs> but in that moment, what we recognize is that we are invited because of what Christ did to the greatest party in the world. And it's not just some people's cake, it's our cake. And we get to live a life where we get to look at it, dream of it, but we also get to partake of it. We get to remember it. In the moments of pain, we get to sit here and go, "All oh, life is sweet because of what Jesus did at his birthday. Ushers are going to come and light your candles. And I, you know, at the behest of my janitorial team, couldn't give everyone cupcakes, so they're out there. You should eat them, because there's a lot of them. But today, as we light our candles, I'm hoping that in this moment, we focus in. We lean in to what God is doing. We remember what God has already done. We cling to what he has yet to do. But most of all, we anchor ourselves. Ushers, you can come and start lighting these candles. Most of all, we remember that it's an invitation to the greatest party the world has ever known. It's Christ's birth. It's my favorite moment. And so many of you came today. It's going to take a while, so bear with us. But it's amazing how when we understand the party, how the light spreads all over the room and we can bring light to each other. In the midst of any circumstance, in the midst of the celebration, in the midst of the depression, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the joy, we all get to be invited to his party. If your candle is lit, I invite you to stand with me as we close. I'm gonna pray for us and then I'm gonna invite us to sing a song. And I know many of you right now, because you probably think you're smart, you're like, oh, he's gonna make us sing happy birthday. And that is too cliche. I'm not, we're not singing happy birthday. But I do want to teach you a new song. And I would encourage you, if you know it, you should absolutely sing it. If you've never seen this song, you've never heard this song, you think you can't believe this song, then I would ask that you literally just stare into the flames of your candle, and, or maybe just watch the words of the screen and hear it. Because I think sometimes we forget that the grace of God, church, don't, don't miss this. We forget that the grace of God is not something we could earn. It's not something we could buy. It's not something we could work for. It's definitely not something we deserve. But the grace of God is that we have an opportunity to, to accept a gift. We have to reach out and accept it. We have to say yes to it. But when we say yes to that gift, everything changes. And then after that song, we'll go traditional and we'll sing Silent Night together. But in the meantime, let us pray and let us sing. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you that your son stepped out of heaven and made a way where there was no way. And so Father, however we got here, God, if we had a moment with you that that changed our life, God, would you call it to memory right now? If we had a moment like the shepherds, would you revive that memory in our minds right now? Father, if we've had a loved one go through a a horrible situation, an insurmountable weight that they've had to carry, and we've watched them do it with grace and be sustained by something other, God, would you help us remember who was it that was carrying them like Joseph? God, if we have been searching and we've risked our reputation, our reward to bring gifts and we still haven't found that king or maybe we have, God, like the wise men, would you help us find him, find him again? Father, if we ourselves are in a moment of carrying a burden, may we say, let it be just like Mary and may we trust you to help us carry it through. But, Father, protect our hearts from being like Herod, to resist having to get off our own throne, to surrender our lives to something greater. Father, help us to war against that spirit that is alive and well in our sin nature. And may we say yes to you and your victory. So, Father, we give you this moment. We give you this worship. We give you this message. We give you this morning for your glory so that the world may know that they are invited to the greatest party the world ever knows. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen.